Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1053. Yesterday and the day before, I gave you two of the most important people in the entire Bible that relate to salvation history. That is God's redemptive history, how God took from all of mankind a person by the name of Abram, and he made a covenant with him that would be an eternal covenant based upon God's nature, based upon God's choice, based upon God's supernatural working. And he would make this man a blessing to all the earth through Messiah. He would give him land. He would give him lineage. And whether his people and those that came after him, his posterity, would enjoy that land, would be dependent upon their obedience to God and God's marvelous forgiveness and wonderful grace. Now, God made that promise to Abraham. Yesterday, I talked to you about David. Now, David was given a covenant related to a kingdom, a government, and how his dynasty would be an everlasting dynasty. Again, that could only be fulfilled through the supernatural act of God, the grace of God that worked through adulterous men, men who lied, men who did things that would bring shame and reproach to any people. Aren't you glad that God uses us in spite of us? I hate to tell you, but many things God has done in my life, some of the greatest things God has done in my life, has been in spite of my sin, in spite of my disobedience. Because God is sovereign, and God rules, and God overrules. Don't you ever forget that. Now, does that make you or me or David or Abraham want to go out and sin more that grace should abound? Paul dealt with that in the book of Romans, and he said, may it never be God forbid, as is translated in many English versions. Now, what I'm saying is that when God does something like that, it draws us to him. It causes repentance in our lives. It causes us to want to love him more, to know him better, to share him and his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and his generosity and his kindness and his love and his loyalty and his faithfulness to others that we come in contact with. This is very, very important in understanding the great story of redemption. So I dealt with Genesis chapter 12, where the covenant to Abraham was introduced. Genesis 15, where the covenant was cut, and that's the terminology of the Tanakh of the Old Testament, to cut a covenant, not necessarily make a covenant, but to cut a covenant because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And the primary way to make a covenant, even though there were other ways, the primary way was through the shedding of blood. And God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And I believe that is where Abraham was truly converted. And the reason is in Romans chapter four, this is the instance that Paul quotes 
about Abraham's life in order to show that indeed he was justified by trusting in God's word and God's provision, his supernatural provision. Unlike James, who uses Genesis 22 to show that Abraham was justified by works, in other words, faith works. True faith, saving faith, always produces works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's usually where the quoting stops in the Western church, in the New Testament church, that is made up of what we call the evangelicals of America. But it does not stop there. The paragraph does not end until later, because it says, for we are his workmanship. This is verse 10, not just Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but verse 10. For, that is, there's more to it than just by grace are you saved. For those who are saved by grace through faith, we are his workmanship, his handiwork, created unto good works. In other words, we are saved unto good works that God has before laid out. He's pre-programmed. He has predestined us to walk in good works. Predestination in the New Testament is always, always, let me say again, always related to saved because we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, God's Son. And so when we talk about Abraham and David, we're talking about Genesis 12, 15, and 17, which is the sign or the seal of the covenant, which was circumcision with Abraham. And we're talking about David primarily, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God made promises, covenant promises, eternal promises, unconditional promises to David. And so what I want to do is now give you 12 key Old Testament dates, what I believe are key Old Testament dates. Now, there are many important dates, but I want to give you 12 important dates that will help you to understand the framework. And by the way, all I'm doing is giving framework to understanding the Bible. Now, notice I'm talking about the Bible, but I'm primarily on the Old Testament. Now, why would I say that when the church is primarily related to the New Testament? That is, the church didn't come into existence until Pentecost. So why am I dealing with the Old Testament? Because unless you have the foundation of the Old Testament, the New Testament will make no sense. That's right. You can understand the gospel. You can understand analytically how to be saved. You can understand the extent of the gospel. You can understand the purpose of the gospel, all of those things. But you will never understand the great redemptive history of God until you understand the entire Bible, because it's not just one Testament. God didn't do away with the Torah. God didn't do away with the prophets. God didn't do away with the writings just because Jesus came. Because you see, God's redemptive work is not over until it's over. And you and I are, yes, saved from the penalty of sin. Daily, we can be saved from the power of sin. But the reality is we will never be saved from the presence of sin until the new heavens and the new earth. We will never be saved from sin until we are glorified in our bodies, our glorified bodies. 
Yes, we will be saved from the presence of sin the moment we leave this world. But the reality is that sin will still be around and there'll be a thousand years when Satan's going to be bound. The demons of hell will be bound. But let me tell you, they're going to be unleashed and all hell's going to break loose on the earth again. And then God will say, I'm going to renovate. I'm going to restore. I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And so what I want to do is help you to just understand the framework about how to deal with this. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is just look at this as like 12 key rungs on a ladder that will help you to climb to the top of Old Testament revelation. Now, remember, I've already given you 10 time periods, and so that divides this up in big chunks, but now I'm going to begin to go from the big panoramic view of 4,000 years of Old Testament history down to just a little over a 1,000 years, if you will. And so uh, we know about Moses, 1,500, so I want to give you the key dates as I see them that will help you to climb the great ladder of biblical interpretation. All right, here we go. I'm going to give you 12 key Old Testament dates. Others might give you other dates that they believe are key, but I'm going to give you 12 that I believe are key. Number one is the Exodus, the Egyptian Exodus, 1446 BC. Now that is dated from a passage in 1 Kings chapter 6. We'll go into that when we get into detail. Remember, we're just in the big Roman numerals now. We're still flying over at 10,000 feet. We've not come down to land yet. We're not even circling the runway. We are still up in the air getting a panorama of God's redemptive history. 1446 was a key date, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, because many of the New Testament passages, historical passages, deal with the Exodus. As a matter of fact, if you do not know about the Exodus and the nature of it, you will never understand communion, because the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in a Passover meal, which dealt with the Egyptian Exodus. The next date is 931. That is the year that the kingdom divided at the death of Solomon. King Solomon, the last of the kings of the United Monarchy, there were three, Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, and then King David of the tribe of Judah, and he began the Judaic dynasty that will last throughout all eternity. But 931 is when Solomon died. Saul reigned for 40 years. David reigned for 40 years, seven years in Hebron, and then 33 years in Zion, in the city of David, in Mount Zion, in the old Jebusite city called Salem or Jerusalem in the rest of the scriptures. So 931. So 1446, the Egyptian exodus, 931, the kingdom divides into 10 tribes go north, the rest stay south with Judah. 722, that is when the northern kingdom of Israel falls to Sargon II of Assyria. 722, the northern kingdom of Israel that split off from Judah and made their capital in Samaria 
it fell in 722 B.C. 605 B.C., that is when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon defeats Pharaoh Necho of Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish and makes his way down, of course, then to Judah and to Jerusalem, and he takes captive Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, many others, but those were the four that were named, Daniel and what have been called affectionately the three Hebrew children. 597 was the second phase of the Judean captivity and the largest phase. King Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon and remained in prison for 37 years. Ezekiel was included in this phase, and you had Daniel and his three friends in the capital, in the palace. You had Ezekiel along a man-made canal called the River Kibar between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. And then 586 was a monumental date in history and especially the history of the Jews. In 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The beautiful temple that Solomon had built and had been the place, the central place of worship was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jeremiah was left behind in Jerusalem, later taken to Egypt, but that happened in 586. So Israel was without a central worship center for 70 years, from 586 B.C. to 516 B.C. And then the next critical date was 538 B.C. Cyrus, who had just a year earlier captured the great city of Babylon. He decreed for the Jews to go home, to return to Jerusalem, and to build a temple. So that was in 538, the decree of Cyrus for the return of the Jews. That took three years for enough Jews to go back and begin to lay the groundwork, the foundation of the first temple. The foundation of the first temple was laid in 535 B.C., and it took a year to do that. And after a year of working and laying the foundation, then the people stopped work for 14 years until the fiery prophet Zechariah and Haggai came and called the people back to the work. And so you have a series of critical dates there. 538, Cyrus issues the decree, allowing the Jews to return home. 535, the first group returns, and they lay the foundation in a year. 534, the work was begun and then stopped after a year. In 520, that's the next date, the work renews on the temple under the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. And in 516, the second temple called many times Zerubbabel's temple, was dedicated in 516. So let me go over these very quickly just to summarize. These are 12 key Old Testament dates in the great redemptive history of God. 1446 is the Exodus. 931, Solomon dies and the kingdom is divided. 722, the northern kingdom uh, with their capital in Samaria was captured the people were decimated and scattered throughout all of the kingdoms of the Middle East. In 605, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes to Judah, captures the blue bloods, if you will. And so the first phase of the Judean captivity, when Daniel and his three friends were taken, and then 
The second phase of the Judean captivity was 597. It was the largest phase. Ezekiel was taken during this time. 586 on the ninth of Av, the fall of Jerusalem to King Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah was there during this time and was later taken to Israel. He was left behind there in Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and his generals. And then 538 B.C., Cyrus issues a decree a year after he captures all of Babylon and is ruler of all of the known world at that time, certainly the biblical world, and he issues a decree for the Jews to return home. In 535, the first group, after gathering together, came back to Jerusalem, and in 535, they laid the foundation of the second temple. They worked for a year, 534, the work that had begun ends, and it does not start again until 520. The work renews on the temple under the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. Then in 516, the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, is dedicated. And so those are 12 key dates in the Old Testament. So I've given you 10 time periods that divides the entire Old Testament and now 12 key Old Testament dates. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.